So from an investment perspective, like we own prime real estate brokerage, prime media productions. We're doing actually a lot more work in the production space. We ever thought that we would. You're listening to the right club podcast where the focus is all about helping you grow your real estate investment portfolio and live the life you want to live. Come grow with us and join our community at the right And now your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi. Hello, Right Club Nation. It's Laurel Simmons here. Before we get started, I wanted to ask you a quick question. Have you checked out our online community yet? I really hope you do because our online community is a place where you can find lots of education, training, and information about real estate investing and about general business. Plus, it's a great place to network with like-minded people. We have interactive forums, all our podcast episodes, and tons of videos about a wide range of topics. It's free to join, so be sure to come grow with us at therightclub.com. Now, on with our podcast. Right Club Nation, welcome back. I'm Sarah Larby, and I'm here with Francois, my wonderful co-host, Francois Lanty, who went from like two to, I don't know how many, 50, 60, 70 properties in a matter of a year and a half. How many are you up now, by the way? We've actually sold a few, so we're down now to 19. So we've really scaled back. And I think what Justin, what you'll hear in the interview will really tie into what some of the decisions I've made, staying liquid in uncertain times. So I have liquidated and yeah, but buying all these properties allowed me to uh, do this liquidation. Absolutely. Hey, we've got to create our lifestyle by design. And uh, that includes being able to ride the ups, the downs and the lulls along the way. But Justin is an investor, a realtor, has a great team, a great mindset. I think you will all enjoy today's podcast. There's a ton of energy and, uh, you know, he really knows what he's talking about. He's been in the investing world for a while and is doing some really cool deals as well. So Right Club Nation, don't forget to rate and review and check us out at therightclub.com. We've got lots of events happening all the time, therightclub.com. Let's bring in Justin. Hello, Justin. Welcome to the Right Club podcast. I'm really excited to have you as a guest, Justin Conico, and I'm accompanied by Sarah Larby. And you're joining us from beautiful London, Ontario. And I'd like to get some more background information. So many of you, our listeners may know of you and see you as the persona on Instagram and on various social media platforms. But it'd be nice to get to know you a bit more. If you could give us an overview of what you've done over the past uh, few years and what brought you into this industry. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm an open book. And if you follow me on any social medias, you might get more than you bargained for. But I would tell you that I do think we live in an age where social media gives people an image that isn't necessarily the truth, right? And I think that's because people can just make preconceived notions of other people's highlight reels and not really get to know the people. Um, one thing I like about, say, Sarah, for example, is over the years I've watched her, one of the reasons we connected was I know that she's a fan of jujitsu for reasons that she has, right? And that, that was one reason that I started paying attention to what you guys are doing. And then Francois, your name reminds me of where I grew up. So I was actually born and raised in Montreal. My mom's from Northern Quebec. Half my family speaks very, very much French. Um, I was raised in Montreal. I came from a family where my dad was actually salesman. Shocker, I'm in sales now. Um, and he worked for DuPont at the time. So we had gone to Toronto for a placement. He moved back to Montreal because they moved him back. That's where his job was. And he was in non-destructive technologies or 
basically anytime you wanted to analyze something without damaging it, you would call this company and they would come in and they'd sell you x-ray equipment and all these different things. Well, when we actually moved back to Montreal, DuPont shut that division down not very long after we got there. And, you know, my dad's family had immigrated from the Ukraine. He worked really hard, but that's a big thing to happen to a guy with a young family. So my dad actually took out a loan, bought the inventory and bought the client list and said, you know what, I can do this. I know how to do the job. I'll do it myself. Founded a company called Tricon Technologies. So I grew up in a family where, you know, we didn't have a ton, but my dad had a very strong work ethic. My mom, same thing too, came from a family where she had six brothers. She was the middle child. So she used to take care of all her other brothers while her parents were working really, really hard. So learn the value of hard work super early on. Um, fun fact, and you both may recognize this name, but my best friend growing up was Anthony Broccolini, the guy that runs Broccolini Construction. Um, his yes. family at the time had built the three homes on our street, and they were tiny home builders at the time. It was John, who was his dad, um, and all of John's brothers. And I, again, got to see the other side of the coin from a, a development family that you know, now I'm in sales and Anthony's building Amazons. It's funny how everything kind of works out that way, but really grew up around an environment of real estate without even really thinking about it. So was on the sales trajectory early on. And then I ended up leaving Montreal early 2000s, um, part in part because Montreal is too fun of a city. I knew there was more out there for me. And my sister at the time was taking kinesiology at Western. And a lot of people that I knew had gone to London for school. And I just kept hearing about London. And my dad had been recruited by London Life years ago. Um, didn't go to London because he's like, yeah, it's a tiny little town, middle of nowhere. We're from Montreal. Why would we go to London? Um, sure enough, both his children followed. I followed my sister to London in the early 2000s and started working for a man named Mike Smith. So if you know anything about London, you've probably heard of a place called Joe Cools and maybe Jim Bob Ray's if you go back. Oh, my goodness. Enough. Yes, that brings me back to college. Yeah. And um, that's actually one of the reasons why I know everybody in the city was I worked for a man named Mike Smith at the time, got a job at those places, did every job in the company. But those are the, the restaurants that everybody goes to. You would walk in cools any day of the week. You'd see Ty Domi next to Carter, next to Corey Perry. All of these guys came up around the same time that I was working in this restaurant. And it really was that place that you could, you know, have a contractor next to a guy in a $10,000 suit. And it was because of the man that ran it, Mike Smith. So Mike became one of my mentors very early on. And I did every job in the company. I just, again, just being raised the way I was, I always had a job. I always worked. I tried to do everything that I could. I was a DJ, a bouncer, a bar back, a manager, a supervisor, ended up working my way into the marketing and coordination position at the company. Um, so I was wearing multiple hats, similar to many entrepreneurs, I'm sure, like you guys and people that are watching this. And I was really in a place where I enjoyed what I did but it was still kind of at the behest of somebody else, right? And then I guess during that transitionary time, I met my wife, who's a superstar. Um, I like to say she's the real brains of the operation and she's a ghost. You do not see her on any podcasts. You don't see her doing any of the things that I do, but there's a very thoughtful reason behind that. My wife was a graduate from the MBA Ivy program, ran a consulting company in New Yorkville, grew up very similarly to how I did where she or her family um, had a car dealership in the middle of nowhere that ended up becoming one of the top dealerships nationwide because her parents know the value of being creative in tough markets and just the value of a hard day's work. So she kept pushing me and kept mentioning real estate as 
something we could do together. And I think I was at a transitionary time in my life where during that time actually was kind of my foray into seeing what real estate investment could be. My sister had bought a house for $88,000. It was a duplex in quotations, um, 65 Riverside Drive. I moved in to help her with the renovation downstairs. That's where I thought I could become a drywaller. I was wrong. That's where we thought, you know, you could have the tenant in the basement who stopped paying her and then had to go to courts and started seeing that, that side of things. But I realized the vehicle was there, right? That you had two people living there that were ultimately paying down a mortgage over time and the value of that asset was increasing. Fast forward, also got an insight into student rentals and the student rental market because just being in and around London, you can't help but see the other side of that coin. And it was the complete flip side where I saw very early on super high rents, really good cash flow, super high maintenance on these same properties. So circles of people I were running with were buying everything on Thurman and Fleming. And I had buddies that were renting houses out to like six to nine people and redoing all the drywall every single time the, the cohort would change and new students would come in. I also noticed something on Thurman and Fleming specifically near Fanshawe at that time where the rest of the city kept appreciating value, but because those were like 98% student rentals, they were just maintaining a baseline. And these are beautiful backsplit homes that should have been selling for a couple hundred thousand dollars more than they should have. So I started just seeing these little things here and there. Fast forward back to the conversation with my wife I swear she tricked me into real estate because she gave me the ad, the old line where, well, get your license, you'll save money on commissions. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll get it for the education. I was managing everything I was managing with Mike, got my license. And that's when the light bulb went off because the very one of the very first listings I got was a commercial property that had 55% vacancy in it. And it was a challenge because my guy was a meat packer out of Oakville wanted a million dollars for this property. If we ran the numbers as a crew, we would sit there and we would say, well, it's worth you know, 657 on paper, maybe, right? Like that's being generous, but he wanted a million dollars. My wife and I both got hosed by the commercial realtors telling us it was overvalued. We were never gonna get what we priced it at. We were just around the 900 mark. And she came up with an analysis of this property of the future potential of it. She did three different appraisals on it. So almost the ignorance helped us to the standpoint where we were able to justify the value. And the very first, one of the very first deals we did ended up being a VTB deal where we did a deal at, I wanna say at that time, 750, but we did 650 in financing, basically a hundred down on the property, structured a 5% VTB over the period of time where eventually, my guy made more than a million dollars because the guy just kept resetting the VTV while he brought the property up to spec. So we got a buyer that got a property, arguably under market value with creative financing when that really wasn't a thing. This would have been like 2012, 2013. And he was able to take that money and end up buying like three or four more buildings because he got it up to 90%, 95% occupancy refinanced the building, but kept the actual VTB, bought another building, did the same thing. So we really realized that the Burr method was something we kind of just stumbled on very, very early on. So I guess that's what really got me intrigued into real estate. And I guess the last piece of it was, we're not really a real estate agency, right? I'm not really a brokerage. I'm not really a real estate agent. I've said this the last time we had a podcast. I kind of just play one on TV. We happen to have an expertise in real estate, but we operate more as a company um, from the prime perspective and from myself as, say, a real estate investor, 
my wife and I look at real estate as a vehicle to opportunity that will generate long-term wealth. So I guess that's the full scope of how I ended up here. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Right Club Nation, let's take a quick minute here to meet our sponsor for the week, Blackjack Contracting. They've been serving Niagara, Hamilton, and Brantford areas. And for the past three years, becoming the area's largest basement suite renovation specialist. That's right. And Blackjack works with real estate investors, both new and experienced, converting single family homes into multiple legal suites and renovating properties to achieve their maximum potential and value. Absolutely. And they've completed over 100 units from Brantford to Niagara Falls and everywhere in between. They handle everything from permitting and design to final cleaning before you list your rentals. And they also have fully licensed electrical contractors certified with the ESA and take jobs of all sizes. Make sure to check them out at blackjackcontractinginc.ca and also follow them on social media at blackjackcontractinginc. And they say investing can sometimes feel like the biggest gamble of your life, but when you have blackjack on your side, the house always wins. So now, back to the podcast. And now, back to the show. First and foremost, I will say you're actually a really good storyteller because it, it was exciting. It was interesting. I mean, you know, you definitely shared lots of details, but I think it's it's cool for our Right Club Nation just to see all the pieces connecting together. And it's also awesome to see that like hard work and grit and determination um, you know, instilling that early on has likely helped you uh, along the way. And the VTB piece, I mean, back then, yeah, you're right. There's probably not many. I just did one on on the last piece of land that I just bought, uh, the resort that we're building on. Now it's a 5%. And, you know, but they're, like that's the first one I, I've done. But it's more common now, I think, especially as, as there are harder and harder deals than it used to be back then. So let's fast forward to today, if you don't mind. I mean, obviously, you know, it, it looks like you've got uh, a lot of things going for you, but what are you working on these days? I mean, if we look at 2020, 2021, uh, or are just starting to get out of the pandemic and, and whatnot, what are, what are the new, the newest types of strategies or deals or, or whatnot that you're working on? Yeah. So what you just said makes me excited because you're talking about doing a land deal on a resort community. I had Scott McGilvery on my podcast in January. And what he was saying was he was looking at stuff nobody was looking at. Right. And I do think that's where my head is at. So from an investment perspective, like we own prime real estate brokerage, prime media productions, we're doing actually a lot more work in the production space. We ever thought that we would. So I'm investing in the businesses, but in terms of actually real estate investments, it's mainly land acquisitions. It's, unless you're doing a VTB, 100% finance, right? So you're putting a lot of cash down and you're not leveraging a lot, but there's an inherent value to our time. So my wife and I are pretty strategic in terms of where we're looking and what we're looking for, for that main reason, because my highest value item right now is my time, right? So I'm looking for opportunities in the land space, in the equity space. I'm also networked globally at this point, not because I'm patting myself on the back, but just because I wake up every day and I, I jump on clubhouse, I jump in rooms like this and I try and connect with people. And I'm looking at opportunities in places that I never really thought I would places like Texas, places like Florida, places like Denver, because we do live in a global village. And it sounds weird for me to say that now, because 10 years ago, I never thought I'd be looking at stuff in those areas 
but you know, does where you live matter as much as it did before? Does where you work matter as much as it did before? I, I could see somebody like you or you, Francois, you know, having three or four places that you're visiting on a frequent basis and three or four networks of people that now become the opportunity zones because your job creates money, but your real wealth comes from the relationships that you make, right? It's so true. And I saw the Gary V shoes that you got a while ago. They're yeah, right yeah, there. Yeah. By, by the way, though, and, and I'll let you, but we have the same bookshelf. Just Oh, amazing. Oh, there cool. you go. That's I didn't cool, even right? notice that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that was the one of the only ones that fit. It's funny because that should have been a curtain. Um, Wasco, the great home builders right on the other unit beside us. And they always walk out on the patio. I'm like, I got to put something there. But everything there has a meaning to me as well, too. Right. And I think Yeah, it's working hard and getting things is great, but I think it's the working hard and the journey. That's the fun part. And I love that concept that you mentioned earlier about having different places. And I, yeah, I am designing my lifestyle like that. The Right Club now is all about customizing your life as investors, because in the end, it's not the assets. We don't really care about the assets. It's what it brings to you. Like you said, time time is precious. You don't get it back. So That's huge. And now you mentioned different markets like Texas, Florida. Are you going even beyond that, like other countries or like I know that's the States, but. <laughs> well, with, with the political climate that we have in Canada, who knows what they're going to let us do and not do. I, I'm excited for next year, though. I think, you know, people are resilient. I think we succeed in spite of our political process, not because of it. But right now I'm focused on North America. Um, my wife likes to take road trips. Um, I get a lot of speaking engagements through my networks as well, too. So 2022, I'm going to probably be spending a lot of time in North America, canvassing, anchoring those relationships. Um, one of my mentors happens to be in Manhattan, another one's in Charlotte, and we've kind of got people all over. So I'm really focused on North America. But through Clubhouse, for example, I have a friend named Yogi who is in one of the best districts in Israel and fascinating to see what's happening there. And then Sina Sadat is another guy I met who he actually runs an Instagram account. You've probably seen it called Luxury Listings. It's the largest luxury real estate account on all of Instagram. And he's been giving me insights into architects that are doing some stuff in the UK and just different vehicles of, of investment that I'm like, man, it seems like we're talking a different language, but- I think that's cool though. I mean, I think it's, you know, obviously despite all the nonsense that COVID brought, the fact that we can live wherever, work wherever, communicate. I mean, I look at some of my friends today, I've met them on Instagram probably in the last couple of years. And then as things started opening up, we started hanging out and that's pretty cool. But to go back to um, one of the things I think was really interesting that you were saying, and I'm starting to really push this as well, is there is not a lot of inventory out there throughout North America. And I think it's important that we are not just all trying to go after the same types of deals. And if you want to do something and you want to make things happen, you really have to look in a different sandbox and you have to go against the grain and like, you've got to really actually think, okay, how can I create a deal here that somebody's not seeing somebody's not wanting to do it for whatever reason, maybe it's experience, maybe it's, it's you know, cash or whatnot and making things happen. And I think that's where people are going to do really well in the next couple of years. If this market continues being the way that it is with no inventory and everybody competing and raising the prices off, you know, conversion opportunities and different things. I still love the birth strategy. There are still some deals, but we're all looking for the same thing. So how you can set yourself apart and do something different, I think is going to be the most successful investors, I think, moving forward. So what are some of the things that you are doing 
against the grain going into a different sandbox. If you don't mind sharing, like maybe just a couple things sure. that you've been doing recently. Well, I'll highlight how you're correct because the burr strategy became a very, very busy space. And then everybody started going after apartment buildings and that became a very, very busy space. Now everybody's running into land development. That's becoming a busy space as well. Right. So it's, it's good because it's proven that where things are, you'll have the first, second and third movers. Once the third movers are there, you're I'm having the conversation that you're having, Sarah. And I think going to markets that you thought were way further out than they were, right? If you're looking at tertiary markets, I'll use Southwestern Ontario as an example, because we talked about this a little bit last time. London, seven years ago, was almost laughable to some people. It was a place maybe you played hockey one time or you heard about a mayor scandal, but you weren't really investing there because cash flow wasn't there. Now London's like Kitchener, right? And now Port Stanley is like London was. And you start going to the other markets, well, start going out from there and look at markets that you think, oh, it's a sleepy little town. Nothing's ever going to happen here because the second movers are already in those places. And not only that, I mean, we talk about foreign investment and the types of people that are coming in and purchasing and, and buying for generations, right? Like I'll take London as an example. If we're looking at this market, the people that are buying here, even the local developers and local builders are having a really tough time getting land. So the way that I like to do things is when you're having a really tough time finding deals, start looking at deals people passed over, right? We do that every day here. I was actually with my team today. We had an investor in here and we were having a conversation. He's like, I'm never going to be able to buy because of the market. I'm like, well, hold on. Let's look at the expired listings over the last, you know, 60 to 90 days, stuff that was listed 90 days ago, that's probably gone up in value. Maybe they would still sell at that same price, right? And Fortunately, unfortunately, you know, there's no standard of care in this industry. So you end up having people that maybe didn't position an asset the right way. And here's a very counterintuitive way of doing it. You know, it's against the rules, but a lot of agents will scrape expired listings and just call sellers directly. Cause why would I call Justin or why would I call the agent that had the listing? I'll just go direct. Here's an opposite approach. And you can tell your realtor to do this, pull your expireds, call those listing agents and give them the olive branch and tell them like, I'm a buyer at this price with this type of structure and just start throwing darts out there. You'd be shocked how many deals we do that way. And then long game, those agents, I'm always dropping in their ear. Next time you have a deal, can you send it to me first before it hits the MLS, right? So think about cultivating long-term relationships and treating people well. You may lose some deals that you would have done that were priced a little bit better if you could have gone direct, but sometimes you end up having an asset or an agent sending you things that you didn't have otherwise. And then let's take the agent out of the equation, community perspective, doing social media, Sarah, it's how I got to know you. I knew you before I even talked to you now, because I feel like I, I've seen so much of your content, but you have to be thoughtful about how you communicate. Social media has been exposed as fake. A lot of people know that. But the methodology of communication that you have on social media is the same communication you should have at the grocery store, at the post office, at the bank tellers, telling them what you're doing and what you're looking for. And eventually somebody's going to turn around and find a way of connecting you with the person that has that asset. So maybe I'm a little bit crazy that way, but I'm pretty thoughtful about how I'm networking and then logging all of that information into my system and then following back on that information to see where those people were. Um, we found a guy today, for example, we were scraping leads in our system that hadn't been touched in a long time because they were just inactive, never responded. And we found a guy that actually bought a dream home and would sell it for a pretty good price. 
And now we're potentially looking at inventory that doesn't exist. So if you can't find the inventory, try and create it. Yeah, I love everything you mentioned there. That's how I've gotten a few deals. A lot of people say, oh, go off market, go with wholesalers. Now I actually go over the overlooked market and it does happen. Uh, I've, I've seen London uh, grow and boom. And also I invest quite a bit in Moncton, New Brunswick, which I find was kind of like London a few years back. So Moncton was really cheap. Now, like you said, it's people from all over the world. Uh, my tenants, I have some people from Dubai moving in uh, all over the place, China, and they're renting sight unseen, but they're also buying sight unseen. So I sold a uh, sixplex uh, last week. And again, people just from out of country and they just make a cash offer and they are buying for generations. Because as you mentioned a bit earlier, land, land development, all of that. So sometimes they buy it for the land, not for the building itself. And that's something people need to consider. Maybe you're overpaying, but the piece of land that it sits on is huge and it's great for redevelopment. Now, is that something you're seeing for London? Is there still space for like redevelopment, densification, things like that? Because it's quite low rise. London was very flat when I used to live there. So there's still, so the official plan calls for it. Yes. But going back to the political process, it's a bit of a joke the way that they have it set up because Anytime a builder or somebody finds a piece of land that's perfect and matches the official plan, they submit the application, it gets shot down because the politicians satisfying their voter base and they're telling the developer, no, no, I fully support you, but I have to say no so that I get my votes. And then they go to OMB, spend 50 grand, takes three years longer than it should be. And then they complain they have a housing crisis because they're not bringing new inventory to market, right? So that's like a long-winded answer to your question. Yes, there's still opportunity but it doesn't necessarily have to be where everybody else is looking, right? Like we're very not emotional about our offers and our purchases. We take shots when shots are coming, you know, we see land that comes up and we'll make offers based on what makes sense. But I, we just talked one of our clients out of a $4 million deal. It's a big paycheck for a salesperson, right? But long-term for them, we're like, well, no, this is where we said the deal made sense. There were, you know, these risk factors that you guys were taking purchasing this land, something else will come up, right? The bank announced six rate increases over the next, call it what, eight months or eight increases I heard today. So what did they just do? They just threw gasoline on a already frothy market where everybody's going to go and try to lock something up. But maybe, maybe in six to eight months, that dies down and all of a sudden it becomes an investor's market, right? I still think you'll find success. I don't ever think you just say, oh no, I'm just going to wait because we all know the longer you wait, the more the market keeps going. But I also think you, you can be thoughtful and confident that there's always going to be more inventory. And we treat land and, and development opportunities the exact same way, case by case basis. If the numbers work great, if they don't, then we'll just move on. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey, Right Club Nation, I just wanted to take a moment and introduce you to today's podcast sponsor, privatebuyers.ca. On your team of experts, you're going to want to make sure that you have a great wholesaler that's going to bring you some great deals off market. So most real estate investors, they're struggling to find their next deal 
private buyers. They help investors by bringing them some off-market opportunities at under market value so that they can make more money. These discounted real estate deals are not on the MLS. They've been found by privatebuyers.ca who will then send them to your inbox. And they're also gonna focus on your criteria and your goals and send you some tailored deals that match your needs. It's just really simple, guys. Just go to privatebuyers.ca, fill out the form and start getting and seeing some available off-market opportunities. Privatebuyers.ca. Now back to the podcast. And now back to the show. I mean, I, I think that's important, right? Is, is if you're going to have somebody on your team, in this case, a realtor, and they walk you or talk you out of an opportunity because they know that it's not the right one and it's you're overpaying. I think that's important because that is going to be a returning customer that is going to come back because they're going to be successful. And, you know, I think if you've got a salesperson that's trying to be too salesy and, and put somebody in the wrong deal. I mean, that's a one and done type of thing. And then all of a sudden that, especially in this industry, it's so small that spreads like wildfire. Somebody's happy that also spreads like wildfire. So you've got to do the right thing at all times. But you, you mentioned a little bit of obviously the, the rate increases, like obviously inflation is a big thing. So like, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's that balance as well. There's 1.2 million, you know, immigrants coming at, at some point very soon. There's already a shortage of housing and everyone's like kind of waiting for this housing correction, this housing crash. Nobody has a crystal ball, but you know, any insights that you can share on what your thoughts might be in the next few years? Yeah. To go back actually what Francois said, um, to answer both your questions, talk about foreign investment, right? And you talk about market corrections and crashes, the amount of times I get a YouTube troll or somebody messaging me on whatever social account about the crash is coming. I'm like, well, let's look at the global perspective of real estate, right? You can take the same metrics we talked about where you basically drive till you qualify down the 401 Toronto, you know, go to Mississauga, then you go to Kitchener, then you go to London, you go to Sarnia. Like it's literally gone down the highway from a depreciation standpoint. The whole world's like that right? You can go to places like New York and think it's expensive there until you go to Tokyo, right? So what's happening though, from a global perspective, is if you look at the banking systems, the reason we have so much foreign investment is we have one of the most solvent banking systems out there. We have one of the craziest real estate industries, like buying offers, cash, no conditions, no financing, no appraisals, no anything. Like it's the wild west up here, but then you go to the States and their banking system is basically like, you say whatever you want on paper and buy whatever you want. So I think if we do see any type of correction from whatever factors we just spoke about, I think there's so much money that wants to be in Canada, both immigrating here, but then also foreign investment that for whatever reasons they want to put their capital in a solvent asset that even if there was a 20% drop in the market, all that money would come in and push it right back up. I don't think we're in a place where you're going to see an all out collapse unless the zombies come and then it doesn't really matter anyways because of the fact that our infrastructure and our, our lending is so restringent. The other thing that I've seen happen over the last couple of years is because the banks, to them, you're just a line item now. It used to be that the bank would actually look at you as a human being. Now they're just so risk averse. They make it so hard to get money. They've created a secondary money market that we're all very well aware of where everybody's a private lender now too. That's an interesting dynamic too, because that wasn't something that we saw, you know, over the past 10, 20, 30 years. And it's almost become, well, you can go private or you can go public. And, and just depending on what you're doing from an investment strategy, I do think, you know, again, now I'm getting completely off the rails with blockchain and crypto and everything else too, and decentralization and the value of a dollar. 
we're going into a very, very different time where I, as an investor, want to make sure that I'm, I'm liquid, I'm flexible. Nobody owns me. I've always been very big about that, the, the government or the banks. I never want to be in a position where they control the decision-making that I'm having, right? So for myself as an investor, if I was going to give somebody a piece of advice, I'd say as much as it's exciting to be in the market, make sure that you're also in a position where you're not over leveraged and you're not just collecting monopoly pieces because you think that's the be all end all because everything can shift like that in this industry and make sure that you're flexible in your ability to adapt because I do think opportunity is coming. What that opportunity looks like still to be decided because things are changing very quickly. That's it. A lot of people bank on appreciation which we've seen for many years, but I had a guest on my podcast not long ago and he re reminded me, well, I was quite young back then, but 1987, Mississauga was flat till 1999. Properties were worth nothing compared to today. That's a long stretch with no appreciation, nothing like that. So this could happen. And I, I really enjoy what you just said there. Do not over leverage and be liquid, be liquid in what you buy as well. So properties that are easy to resell. Like some people get into crazy properties that need too much work and they're beginners. Or, Maybe or when like more only advanced. one bank will finance it, right? To like one specific type of person. It's That's a good point. Yeah, like this is where like rooming houses and like very, very unique deals. Like you got to have some some exits, the cash flow piece as well is going to be important. But, you know, like you, you talked about 20%. I'm just going to use this number. Sure. But if it goes down 20%, that means like you probably lost six months out of this year. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like ultimately a 20% drop. And, and the other thing too, I would say is not everything, like even when you looked at 2017, and I'm sure you did the same thing. And, and when our wonderful Kathleen went, I'm so glad she's out of you know office but i forgot about her <laughs> until you mentioned your name and oh then gosh, she did all the spare housing nonsense which like yeah. totally backfired unfortunately government shouldn't meddle too much in real estate they clearly don't know what they're doing but there was uh you know a bit of turbulence at that point in time but when you look at like sure. the top third and the bottom third of the market and the areas and the locations like it didn't get all affected at the same time this is where the people that were buying pre-construction high prices hoping to flip um, or, you know, all of a sudden the prices dropped 20% and they couldn't close because they had to come up with the other 20%, uh, sure. or the ones that were just banking on appreciation. Those are the ones that the people that got hurt, but the top tier is going to be more affected than the bottom th like third of the market. When I was in Brantford at that point in time, I didn't feel anything because I was in the bottom third. That's what I was buying. I was renovating and I was buying and, and I was renting for cash flow. And, but the speculators are going to get the ones that I think, in my opinion, those are the ones that usually will feel it the most, especially if they're highly leveraged. Yeah, I'm a very big on not buying on future value, right? What you said, Francois, like people buying on appreciation or even, I mean, people that are doing burrs with no comps, like confident that they can make it work. Yeah, what if you're like two weeks into that and everything shifts? Because it literally happens overnight. Like we've seen a drop off in showings over the last 45 days. So we were getting 20 to 40 showings per listing up until about that time. I just sold a property and I told him, we're not going to have many showings. Like we're going to be 30 days on market. This is the price that we're going to sell for. I'm like, you need to just trust me in this process, right? Or just put it at an insane price and then you'll get 20 to 30 showings. But I think you'll sell for less. Long story short, two, like, two weeks into the listing, 
He's like, where's everybody? What you know, properties are selling? I'm like, no, they're not. I'm like, public media makes you think that, but like, here's the data. I drowned him in data. It was actually, it was a lot of fun because he was a super unique client that loved that side of things. And <clears throat> sorry, I over-communicated to him what the data was showing me. I'm like, you got to act today. I'm like, same thing from a purchasing standpoint, right? Like you only lose 20% if you sell it. If you don't sell it, you don't lose anything. And if you ran your numbers and it's, it's cash flow positive, one of my friends is the top agent in Silicon Valley. Do you think they buy any cash flow investments in Silicon Valley? No, nope. they don't, right? <laughs> so we're kind of spoiled here that if we're not getting cash flow, we think, oh no, we're losing. Or if you see the numbers drop, it, you got to be thoughtful in the way that you're acting and you got to be looking at today's numbers, not the future. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. I mean, Justin, we can keep talking forever. I mean, you are so entertaining. We're going to have to have you come back again, but the next part is our lightning round. So we're going to ask you four questions and you're going to give us the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready? I am. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Butler Mortgages, Canada's number one mortgage brokerage three years in a row. If you need a great mortgage broker to help you with investing in real estate or to help you purchase your next home, reach out to Daniel Patton and Michael Zanzini from Butler Mortgages. You can do that by calling 905-569-8326 or toll free at one 888 and check out their website, butlermortgages.com or by email daniel.patton at butlermortgages.com or michael.zanzini at butlermortgages.com. And let's go to the lightning round. All right. What is the best advice, number one, that you have ever received from another investor or at a networking event? Learn from people who've done it before you. I think getting around mentors is everything. Excellent answer. And we have Sarah, who's a mentor here. <laughs> so that's excellent. Uh, question number two, what's your favorite resource for real estate investing? It could be a book, uh, an event, a podcast. Honestly, it's social media in general, right? Like following people like Sarah and Bigger Pockets and people that I run with in the industry. I, the reason I say that is you get like, day by day updates more so that I like podcasts, but I actually like following social media accounts and seeing what people are doing. Um, also, you're going to notice what they're doing too. So if they're doing it, maybe you should be taking a closer look at what they're doing. Awesome. Great answer. Number three, what is the one attribute in your opinion that has made you most successful? My wife. That's a great answer. Yeah. You know why though, is if you can get around somebody that could see something in you that you couldn't see in yourself, sometimes it's great to have that person to push you or, or unlock your genius key, right? I know what I'm good at. I know what she's good at. And they're very, very different things. So she's been instrumental in getting where we are today. Very cool. And the fourth question, what do you typically do on a Sunday morning? I do screen-free Sundays typically. So I've built my life where I try and do a full dopamine reset. So try to do no iPads, no screens, no iPhones, no nothing. Um, usually wake up. I spend some time in prayer. I journal. I usually make pancakes for my wife and daughter, which usually turns into some type of game with my daughter. And yeah, we Sundays for the family. Um, but that said, I'm in real estate too. So if business needs to get done, we have systems in place for that. Very cool. I'm going to add a fifth question because we have the same bookshelf and you mentioned that there's everything in there that means something to you. Pick one item that means the most to you and tell us about it. Oh, there's a lot of stuff there. Item wise. What, what's that football there? What is that about? It's a Philadelphia Eagles football, but it, I'm not, I can't pick that. I'm, I'm going to keep going. I keep looking back to the same books. So there's actually sell it like Sir Ant up there. And the reason why that's super important to me was 
the type of guy Ryan is. So there's a photo of him up there. Um, and mentors, as I mentioned earlier, have been a huge part of my life. Actually, there's two. There's another guy wearing a Santa shirt. That's Scott. We can't see their face, I, though. Can you like just like bring up the camera a little bit? There you go. All right. So Ryan go. and Scott. Yeah. So Ryan and Scott. So Scott actually came via a phone call from Jazz Tackar um, years ago. Called me and he's like, hey, we're looking for somebody to represent the London market. Scott's got this investment network group. I thought it was a scam. I actually said no to Jazz when he called me. Enter my wife where she's like, well, Scott's at CIBC. It's, it seems like legit. So I went, I ended up changing my life. And it's funny because I think people see me in these photos sometimes. And they think it's just like pay to play. You just show up, get the photo op. And that's all the relationship is. My relationship with Scott actually started long before he had the trusted agent program. And he would always pour into me. So I'll mention both of them, actually. Scott, I'd ask him questions. I'd get an answer and I go do it. And I come back and ask him another question. He'd give me another answer. And it really developed a relationship over years of him seeing these little things every time, but then he kept giving me the information. Him, I actually thought, Ryan, the same thing. I was like, okay, Jazz is sending me to see Ryan. Like, what's a guy in Manhattan gonna teach me? I'm in London, Ontario, and it's just a guy from TV. Like, I had preconceived notions about him. I met him, and I remember I brought down Nathan and Jamie. We were there for 45 minutes, and I was gonna shoot a podcast and do the photo op thing. He ended up telling me everything about his team, his contract structures, how he gets his development deals, everything. And I was about to hire an actual full-blown real estate coach, a very well-known one, popped in the cab, called my wife. And I'm like, if I could have that meeting once a year, I'm like, we can grow faster than you ever thought. I'm like, are you cool if I offer Ryan what I was going to offer the other guy? My wife's like, 100%. If you think the value's there, go for it. But this is where the rubber meets the road. Cold email Ryan. And I'm like, hey, thank you so much. So much value for that meeting. If there's anything we can do for you, let me know. Um, you know, I want a mentor. I know you don't do this. This was like 2018, but I'm like, here's what I'm prepared to pay you for a one hour meeting once a year. I'll never bug you the rest of the year. Just, that's all I want. And his response was, you don't need to pay me a dime. He's like, you're welcome to come to the office anytime. I'll give you an hour of my time. It's fine. Like, you know, I see what you're doing and I'd love to kind of know more. I'm kind of relentless in terms of how I do things. Bought 100 copies of his book. I sent him a cameo from Dean Kane, the guy who played Superman, explaining why he should be my mentor. And long story short, we ended up forming a relationship and a formalized mentorship structure. And that really changed the trajectory of my life because now I have somebody that every time I go through a large shift or get to where I want to go, I can bounce off, well, here's what I'm thinking. And it's not like he has all the answers. It's not like the way he does it is the way that I'm going to do it. But it's an idea of somebody that doesn't have to give me a minute of their time reaching down and helping me up. And I think God gave me like three or four times in my life where like I have no business being here. I feel very undeserving of the life that I have now. So I think the lesson from that is that we are that for the other people that are maybe in a different position. I know that's why you did the right club and why you started it. And I know you don't have to share any of this with anybody, but if we can create a world where we're all reaching down and helping other people up, mm -hmm. then they can put all the political rules in place. It won't really matter because our community will be pretty awesome. So that book probably means the most to me at this point. That is awesome. And it is about giving back, right? I mean, and this is how we just pass it down. And hopefully the people that are, are learning from us are going to pass it down as well. And I mean, it's such a small community anyways of people that are really driven to do it and want to do it we might as well help each other out. And this is not a competition because likely we're going to be partnering at some point. We're going to be sharing insights, ideas, contacts. 
it's much more fun to do it, uh, you know, with others along the way. So Justin, that's amazing. Where can the right club nation reach out and find out more? You can, if you want to talk to me directly, Instagram, um, there is a guy that keeps replicating my account and trying to sell them crypto. So just be aware that it, make sure you're talking to me, but you can actually DM me and I'll respond. I'm also doing a lot of stuff on YouTube right now. So showcasing how I'm building my business and trying to do a lot more content on the YouTube channel. So Justin Conoco on all platforms. Amazing. Justin, thank you so much for being on the Right Club podcast. Right Club Nation, thank you as well. It was a pleasure having you on and uh, you've got some great stories. We're going to have to have you come back and, uh, and share some more as well. I like it. I like being around like-minded people. So thanks for having me. Awesome. So Sarah, what did you think about this interview? Like so much knowledge, I could have gone on for three hours, but that would be a long podcast. <laughs> I mean, this is the second time we have Justin on and I think we can bring him back and we can have a whole different set of conversations. He's got tons and tons of information, willing to share, willing to give back. And I mean, I think that is the beauty of real estate investing and our networks, whether it's the right club or, or different ones is that we're there to provide information to help others so that you listening to this Right Club Nation member, you can do that down the road when you have the experience as well to somebody who is just starting out. So I hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast. There's lots and lots of insights. Francois, your main insight was? I'd say the whole liquidity. I think that's huge being liquid. And that can mean many things, but that's very important. And I, I've, I'm applying it. So I was it was nice to hear it that someone else who's got way more experience is doing the same. Amazing. All right. Well, plan for the best, plan for the worst so that you can ride the waves along the way and still be in this industry in 10 years, in 20 years and so forth. Right Club Nation, what do we say to the Right Club Nation members? Come grow with us and customize your life. There you go. See you guys next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Right Club podcast and joining our community of real estate investors online at therightclub.com, where the focus is about helping you grow. We look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks from your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi.